Amen. What a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And just how good has God been to us this year? I mean, already two baptisms in one month. Why don't we just take a moment and thank God for what He's doing? If y'all don't mind, I would like to share something this morning that sort of blessed me on my short drive over here. I was listening to a song by, well, it's an old hymn, and Alan Jackson sung it. It's called It's All About Him. And it's really been my motto and my mantra this year. And the chorus says, It's all about Him and the love that He gives, redemption and hope for all who have sinned. You can walk all alone, never find your way home, till you see deep within it's all about Him. And that's really our goal, right? It's about glorifying the Lord. That's what that was all about. It's about what the Lord has done for us. Our scripture reading today from the Old Testament is Psalm 11, verses 1 through 7. Psalm 11, verses 1 through 7. And the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted the arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. And our New Testament reading is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 through 15. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Let's pray. Precious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for what we have witnessed today in this baptism, Lord. I am reminded of when I was baptized, Lord, and the weight was lifted, and I never shall forget that day, Lord, when all my sins were rolled away. I thank you, Lord, for that, for the sacrifice that you made on the cross for a sinner like me, someone who didn't deserve it, yet you showed mercy and grace anyway. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to suffer. But out of your love and kindness, you did, and we thank you for it. And, Lord, it is my prayer that today would just be all about you. It wouldn't be about anybody in this room but you. And I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would fill this room today. And if there's anybody that's lost today, that they would be convicted, Lord, and drawn to yourself. And they would accept you as Lord and Savior of their lives today. For, Lord, this is all worth it just for one soul who repents. 
And we shall rejoice when that happens, Lord, because it is such a glorious thing to see when one gets saved. So it's my prayer that we would see that happen again today. May there be revival in this church, Lord. We already know that you're working, Lord. Let us not sit still while you're working, but rather move along with you and don't hinder you, Lord. Use us all for your glory, Lord. Bless Pastor Greg as he preaches here in a moment. And bless Jacob as he continues singing. Bless the choir, Lord. Bless everyone in this congregation, Lord, that they may see you today and only you and the love and kindness that you have shown. And it's in Christ's name I pray these things. Amen. Come to the water, you who thirst, and you'll thirst no more. Come to the Father, you who work, and you'll work no more. All you who labor in vain, and to the broken in shame. Love is here, love is now, love is pouring from his hands, from his brow. Love is near, it satisfies, streams of mercy flowing from his side. Cause love is here. Come to the treasure, you who search, and you'll search no more. Come to the lover, you who want, and you'll want no more. All you who labor in vain. And to the broken in shame Love is here Love is now Love is pouring from his hands From his brow Love is near It satisfies Streams of mercy flowing from his side and to the bruised and fallen, captive bound and broken hearted, He is the Lord, He is the Lord. And by His stripes He's paid all ransom, from His womb we drink salvation. He is the Lord, He is the Lord. Love is here, love is now. Love is pouring from his hands, from his brow. Love is near, it satisfies. Streams of mercy flowing from his side. Streams of mercy flowing from his side. 
Cause love is here Father, we thank you for how you have blessed today. Lord, it's so wonderful to start off with a baptism. We thank you for Rob and we pray your blessings on this man. We need so badly, we need men in this church who will rise up and serve the Lord with gladness, who will come before his presence with singing. And Lord, we ask that you would increase the number of men and women and children and young people that we have here. Lord, we believe that you have a work that you want to do yet in Mill Springs. And we are confessing to you that we are absolutely powerless without you. Uh, we will never succeed. Uh, we will not continue even to be without you. So, Lord, please show forth your power in every aspect of the life of this church. Help us to preach your word and to be fearless in the speaking of it. Help us to be faithful in the living, for we must not be only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. So, Lord, we ask that you would work now as we hear this message. I pray, Father, for your spirit's help, and I pray that he will take the word and apply it to every heart, to the glory and praise of Jesus Christ. That's what we ask in his name. Amen. My title this morning is Christ's Power to Accomplish His Purposes. And my starting text you're going to find in Luke 22. Luke 22. Next Sunday we're going to resume our exposition of 1 Corinthians. We worked our way through all of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians. We'll return and stick in 1 Corinthians probably until Easter and then we will uh, take some time and have some messages around the resurrection. Luke chapter 22. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. If you would like to hop on an electronic device and, and follow along in that translation, if you'd like to be with me word for word. Luke chapter 22 and verse 1. The festival of unleavened bread, which is called Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were looking for a way to put him to death because they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and temple police how he could hand him over to them. They were glad and agreed to give him silver. So he accepted the offer and started looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them when the crowd was not present. Now drop down to verse 47. While he, Jesus, was still speaking, suddenly a mob came, and one of the twelve, named Judas, was leading them. He came near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? 
When those around Saul, what was going to happen, they asked, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Then one of them struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. But Jesus responded, no more of this. And touching his ear, he healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, temple police, and the elders who had come for him, Have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal? Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion of darkness. They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. How powerful a Christ do you think you're serving? How strong is he? As you consider the prospects of this new year, what may or may not happen in 2024, how able would you say Christ is to accomplish his purposes? We celebrated this week as a family my dad's 80th birthday. We had a great time celebrating him. And I said to dad at one point, I said, Dad, your 80th year sure stands to be interesting. And actually, with the lead up to this election in November, I think it maybe, in fact, stands to be chaotic, anarchic, despotic, or some combination thereof. I don't know. But I think we're headed for some real turmoil. I'm not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. But I think it was Ben Franklin who said, a republic, if you can keep it. Regardless of what happens, though, what I'm asking is, in your way of thinking, is Christ truly powerful enough to accomplish his purposes? Now, in answer, I want to attach four words to the word question. The word no, the word serious, the word without, and the word the. Now, it's going to make sense in a moment. And I want to think together on Christ's power to accomplish his purposes, particularly in the life of one of his disciples. So let's attach our first word to this word question, and it's the word no, as in no question. When it comes to Christ's disciples, there's no question about Christ's power to accomplish his purposes. For example, think about the disciple Simon Peter. Because Christ's power enabled him to become the great leader of the early church. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 16, 18 said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. There's no question about his power to accomplish his purposes in the disciple John. Because John, you'll recall, was the outstanding model of love in the early church. 
John writing, for example, in 1 John 3.18, Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. And John was the one who was teaching the glorious foundational truth. 1 John 4.8, God is love. So no question about Christ's ability and power to be able to accomplish His purposes in John, nor in James, because Christ's power enabled Him to bear witness to Jesus so effectively that He was the first of the twelve to be killed as a martyr, laying down His life. At the hands of Christ's enemies. Luke reporting in Acts 12.1, about that time King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church and he executed James, John's brother, with the sword. So Peter, the great leader of the church, John, the outstanding model of love in the early church, James, the first martyr among the twelve, in the early church, no question, is there, about Christ's power to accomplish His purposes in these disciples. Second word to attach to this word question. The word serious. As in serious question. Because when it comes to Christ's power to accomplish His purposes in His disciples, there are serious questions about one, right? The one we read about at the beginning, and that is this disciple who was named Judas Iscariot. Called the most notorious and universally scorned of all Jesus' disciples, the arch-traitor, the man-devil, the false and deceitful friend. Because what we read back in Luke 22, when it comes to this disciple, Judas Iscariot, there's serious question about Christ's power to accomplish His purposes in His disciples because this disciple turns out to be an unmitigated disaster. We're talking about privileges and opportunities given to Judas that others could only dream of. A front row seat for Jesus' profoundest teachings. A ringside view of Jesus' mightiest miracles. Everyday personal access to Jesus. Behind-the-scenes familiarity with every privilege that Jesus afforded the disciples. Judas Iscariot, would you agree with me, was phenomenally privileged. And yet he still did what? He betrayed his master. And he did that in the face of repeated warnings with appeals to change course built into every single one of those warnings. For example, in Matthew 17, 22, we read that as they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus told them, the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. And Judas hears this. And there's a warning 
built into that. There's an encouragement, as it were, to turn and change course. And listen to this one in Matthew chapter 26, verse 20. When evening came, he was reclining at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed, each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. He replied, The one who dipped his hand with me in the bowl, he will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him if he had not been born. Judas, his betrayer, replied, Surely not I, Rabbi. You have said it, he told him. What a warning. And built in appeal again for Judas to turn from his evil love. As the Lord declares in Ezekiel 18.32, I take no pleasure in anyone's death. So repent and live. But Judas still betrays the Lord Jesus. And it's, you know, when you read your Bible, it is like the apostles, the other disciples cannot get over what he did. That he actually did this. Up until that moment that he betrays Christ in Gethsemane, they trusted Judas. You don't make a guy the group treasurer if you don't trust him. They trusted him. But after Gethsemane, every time you read his name in the Gospels, you know what he's called? Judas the Betrayer. Judas the Betrayer. Judas the Betrayer. His treachery was an unfathomable act in the eyes of his fellow apostles to the point that every time their names are listed in the Bible... Judas' name is dead last. Matthew 10.2, these are the names of the twelve apostles. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot. And Judas, Iscariot, who also betrayed him. So, Christ's power to accomplish His purposes in Simon Peter? Check. Christ's power to accomplish His purposes in John? Check. In James? Check. But in Judas Iscariot? Complete washout. Judas knew Christ personally. He held apostolic office. He traveled with Christ. He saw His miracles. He heard His teaching. He prayed beside Him. He ate with Him. And yet, He never yielded His heart. He never personally applied to His own heart and conscience any of these astounding privileges that were given to Him. But He proudly betrayed the Savior. 
Because you remember what we read back in Luke 22? At verse 47, we read that while Jesus was still speaking, suddenly a mob came and one of the twelve named Judas was leading them. Judas didn't just whisper to Jesus' enemies where they could locate him so they could apprehend him secretly away from the crowds. And he didn't just hang back then in the shadows after he had whispered the the secret location where to find Jesus. No, no. He proudly, he was out with a grin, front and center, placing his master into the hands of his murderers. So Christ's power to accomplish His purposes failed in Judas, right? Wrong. Third word to attach to this word question is the word without. No question. Serious question. Without question. Brothers and sisters, without question, Christ accomplished His purpose in Judas Iscariot. And here's why. Because Judas's role as betrayer and his actions as betrayer were all foretold in the Old Testament. For the sake of time, I'll give you the references and you can jot them down and look them up when you get home. John 13, 18 to 27 is the fulfillment of what was prophesied in Psalm 41, 9. Matthew 27, 9 to 10, is the fulfillment of what was prophesied in Zechariah 11, 12 to 13. And then there's this. Look with me at John chapter 6, verse 63. John 6, 63. Jesus says in John 6.63, the flesh doesn't, I'm sorry, the spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh doesn't help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some among you who don't believe. For Jesus knew. Now this is John. He's giving us an explanation. For for Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and the one who would betray Him. He said, this is why I told you that no one can come to Me unless it is granted to Him by the Father. 
From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. So Jesus said to the twelve, you don't want to go away too, do you? Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus replied to them, Didn't I choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He was referring to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, one of the twelve, because he was going to betray him. So this means, do you see, that far from any defeat of Christ's power to accomplish His purposes, Judas' betrayal without question is Christ's power to accomplish His purposes. Judas' chariot was a disciple chosen by Christ's power to accomplish Christ's purposes to fulfill the prophesied plan. And yet, as MacArthur says, Judas was in no sense coerced into doing what he did. No invisible hand forced him to betray Christ. He acted freely and without external compulsion. He was responsible for his own actions. And Jesus said Judas would bear the guilt of his deed throughout eternity. It was his own greed, his own ambition, and his own wicked desires which were the only forces that constrained Judas to betray Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, can you hear what the Bible is teaching us? That it teaches us both God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. There are churches that will run with one direction or the other. But as we come to the Scriptures and try to take the Bible as a whole as it's been given, we discover that the Bible teaches that God is in supreme sovereign control and that man is fully responsible for the choices and decisions he makes. And he's not forced by any external force to make the choices and decisions he makes. They're his. Don't divorce what God has joined together. This single verse expresses both teachings as clearly as they can be expressed. Will you look at Luke chapter 22, verse 22? I want you to see it. Luke 22, 22. Expressing both teachings. Listen to what Jesus says as He institutes the first Lord's Supper. Fire your inner lawyer and listen. For the Son of Man will go away as it has been determined. You know what that is? That's the sovereignty of God. But... Woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. That is the responsibility of Judas. That is the responsibility of man. Now someone once asked 
Spurgeon, how he reconciled God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, and he answered with this. If I find taught in one part of the Bible that everything is foreordained, then that is true. And if I find in another scripture that man is responsible for all of his actions, that is true. And it is only my folly that leads me to imagine that these two truths can ever contradict each other. I do not think they can ever be welded into one upon any earthly anvil, but they shall certainly be one in eternity. They are two lines that are so nearly parallel that the human mind which pursues them farthest will never discover that they converge. But they do converge, and they will meet somewhere in eternity close to the throne of God, from whence all truth doth come. You see, Judas freely made his choices. And he freely made them according to the desire of what? His heart. His own sinful nature. His desires for a fistful of money. Thirty pieces of silver. Betraying his master Jesus for the sum of a slave. While at the same time, without question, Christ's power was accomplishing his purposes. Because his purpose was to become for us a savior who was betrayed, condemned, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and coming again. Now the final word to attach to this word question is the word the, as in the question. The question is this, unlike Judas, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, I don't know what that means, received Christ. Listen to this verse, it's John 1.12. But to all who did receive Him, He gave them the right to be children of God to those who believe in His name. That's how you receive Christ. You may have been in church all your life and I've always heard about receiving Jesus, but I never knew what that meant. That's how you receive Him. Somebody said when we receive a package in the mail... We take it to ourselves. When a running back receives the football, he pulls it to himself and clings to it. When we receive Jesus, we take him to ourselves and cling to the truth about him. The truth that he is God in human flesh. The truth that he forgives sin. 
The truth that He calls us to believe in Him. The truth that He calls us to follow Him. The truth that He promises us life forever. The truth that He promises us to be with Him forever. The truth that He promises us a new heaven and a new earth where all evil is gone forever and instead there will only be righteousness and goodness and joy and peace. When we receive Christ, we take Him to ourselves and we cling to the truth about Him. That's what Judas, for all of his privileges and all of his opportunities, never did. The question, have you received Jesus? Now, I will say this, folks, I've been at this a a long time. And I don't just mean this sermon. But I've been doing this a while. And I've met all kinds of characters. And I've learned some of those characters the hard way. But I think I've just about met them all. And there could be one who is sitting here and quite honestly in your heart you're like Judas. You hate God. You know, there are people who pride themselves in that. They think that makes them really something special in the universe. Their hatred of God. I want to say to you, you will not defeat Him. Psalm 2, 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs at the kings of the earth who oppose Him, the Lord ridicules them. For He speaks to them in His anger and terrifies them in His wrath. Don't we read about kings in the, in the book of Revelation who are going to be crying for the rocks and the mountains to what? Fall on them and hide them from the wrath of Christ is able to accomplish His purposes. Don't put yourself through unbelief in His purposes of judgment lest you end like Judas Iscariot when everything He chose finally failed Him. Matthew 27, 3 says, Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that Jesus had been condemned, was full of remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders and said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said to him, What's that to us? See to it yourself. His silver, you see, It lost its luster. His betrayal lost its satisfaction. His accomplices lost their care. 
And that's when his conscience came alive with remorse, not repentance. And Matthew 27, 5 says, He threw the silver into the temple and departed. Then he went and hanged himself. What a dreadful death to die. An apostle of Christ. A former preacher of the gospel. A companion of Peter and John. Commits suicide and rushes into God's presence unprepared and unforgiven. Christ's power to accomplish His purposes. How powerful a Christ do you think you're serving? Oh, my friend, bow before Him. Receive His love for you. He came to rescue sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Come, let's pray. Father, Have mercy upon us now and make us search our hearts. If we're wrong, make us right. And if we're right, keep us right. Help us see that Christ is Savior and is willing to receive us now if only we'll repent and believe Bring us to trust His love and keep us now for Your own sake. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. I want us to stand. We're going to sing a closing hymn together. It's number 395. I'll be here at the front if I can pray with you. Speak with you. Listen, listen, this is one of those hymns that I believe will be being sung a hundred years from now. Come, lonely heart. To the outsider's friend, listen to these words. Respond in your heart as you sing. Jacob, come lead us. Let's sing together. Come, lonely heart. To the outsider's friend, to Jesus who seeks out the lost. Your cruel seclusion has come to an end. Find welcome, find home at the cross. No soul is too small. For his mercy, no sin is too great for his grace. Come, lonely heart, to the outsider's friend, find welcome.
Find home at the cross. Drink, thirsty heart, of the water of life, of bountiful soul-quenching grace. The world's broken cisterns cannot satisfy the Savior is what your heart craves. No soul is too small for his mercy. No sin is too great for his grace. Drink, thirsty heart, of the water of life. The Savior is what your heart craves. Rest, guilty heart, in the forgiveness of sin, in pardon from shame-stirring vines. Though Satan and sinners and conscience condemn, your soul may be spotless as Christ. No soul is too small for his mercy. No sin is too great for his grace. Rest, guilty heart, in forgiveness of sin. Your soul may be spotless as Christ. Joy, grateful heart, in the hope you have found. In God who is seeking your praise. Then go to the outcast that grace may resound. For Jesus is mighty to save. No soul is too small for his mercy. No sin is too great for his grace. Joy, grateful heart, in the hope you have found. For Jesus is mighty to save. Amen. Mighty to save. Mighty to save. Don't you go out of here with this burden of guilt and condemnation anymore. There's a Savior, and He's mighty as a... No sin is too great for His grace. That sin that you get hidden, it's not too great. There's forgiveness. Being on a cross, executing, being executed, looks to Jesus. Lord, what's he say? Remember me when you come in your kingdom. That's all they can say. You can't do it. Anything. Just remember me. Jesus said today, you will be with me. Thank you all so much for being here. Please keep coming.
You don't know. If you're a guest with us today, just to look out and see your faces, what a joy for us. Thank you for coming. Come back. I, I'd love to, if you'd have a second, just meet me here at the front. I'd love to, love to meet you and just say hello.